Big Fluff. Enough! Enough! It's not a god! It's not a devil! It's just a fucking animal and any living thing can be killed! This thing is what right up the dinosaurs! It's a pretty tough fucking customer! What do you want me to tell you? All I'm saying is, I know it's got a weakness! What weakness? Ego! Well, it thinks it's Satan, right? Satan has the biggest ego of all! They need to think he was greater than God! And he took a fall! Right! That's why it turned this town into a fucking funhouse. That's why it manipulated us into bringing Dr. Flight here. It wanted you to see it. It wanted you to. Show me how to kill this fucking thing. If there were a way to kill it, Sheriff, we wouldn't have been given the tissue sample. You're not listening to me. It only thinks it's all powerful. It's lived too long without fear. Millions of years it's lived where no one could touch it. Nothing could kill it. That's what makes it vulnerable. <laughs> Hey everybody, I'm Joel Murphy. <laughs> and I'm Andy McIntyre. And this is Silver Linings Playback, the podcast where we watch maligned movies and we find their silver linings. And we are closing out Ben Affleck rom-com month <laughs> with the rommest com that Ben Affleck has done. Uh, and he was definitely de bomb. Uh, we watched Phantoms and here to talk about it is also fellow Fleck fan, uh, <laughs> the one and only Aaron Fox. Uh, and they are our second repeat guest. So welcome back to the show. Aaron, how's it going? Thank you. Uh, so far, so good. I am in what uh, we refer to as our murder basement. I'm freezing, <laughs> but I'm still eating ice cream. So I'm uh, feeling good. Feeling awake. It's it's good to know that the pandemic hasn't changed you. <laughs> <laughs> I was also I was saying this right before we started recording, but you are by far our most prepared guest. You were showing us pages and pages of notes that you meticulously took uh, while yeah, watching. Yeah, this, this look film. like amateur hour. <laughs> <laughs> and the lengths you went to consume this movie uh, just show how dedicated you are to making sure that we have the best possible podcast uh, to close out Affleck rom com month. Emphasis on best possible. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Uh, yeah, so this is uh, Ben Affleck in Phantoms. Uh, late 90s gem based on the Dean Koontz book of the same name. Yeah, they got Koontz to write the screenplay for this. Can I ask a quick question about Dean Koontz? Sure. Maybe you know the answer. Maybe you don't. <laughs> um, does he have a feud with Stephen King? I don't think that they're good friends. Like, I think that they're, they it may be just a professional rivalry, but I don't okay, know like they're, they're contemporaries who write about similar things. OK, because I right. always hear them like, I don't know, pitted against each other. And I, I didn't know. Is he like the Salieri to? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's more that he's the RC to Stephen King's Pepsi. OK, Coke, but all right. Yeah. I, yeah. Andy, you think Pepsi is the good one? That's no compared to RC Cola. Yeah, but still. That's fair, though. I mean, I'm that... talking about, like, breadth more than quality. Mm. So I stand by my analogy. I was Because I, we all know that uh, Grisham is the Coke. Oh, no. But okay. Uh, of the, I, I like this. Of, of, the, of the airport bookstore paperback section. Also, okay. I mean, look, I, I feel this is low-hanging fruit, but I feel like I need to make a joke that says that in the 80s, Stephen King was definitely the Coke. That's accurate. Way to go. Well, well, and that's our show, everybody. 
I'm sorry. I've totally derailed us. Uh, no, I think you you just put us on even better rails to talk about the Koontz King rivalry. Honestly, the, oh, well, that's the name of the film. When we write our Amadeus, <laughs> it's obviously called the, the Koontz, Koontz King, King rivalry. rivalry. Perfect. And the other question is, where does Michael Crichton fit in with all of it? Mm-hmm. I don't know. He just wants to write books about parks where things go bad. That's all Crichton He only to- did that three times. <laughs> Four if you count Congo. <laughs> and five if you count Sphere. So five times. <laughs> and, and six if you count the Terminal Man. Oh. In an You're inter- very familiar with his body of work. Yeah, I'm impressed. You went deeper than that. Sorry, but uh, Aaron, breaking news. Uh, in an interview with USA Weekend in 2009, Stephen King commented that Dean Koontz is sometimes just awful. Okay, so maybe maybe we have a rivalry. There is a little bit of heat there. Yeah, we're starting it now. Be on notice, everyone we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, I'm the very Coons excited. King rivalry. Yeah. Yeah, no, I want to know more. Like, I, I wasn't aware of this, but now this is, yeah, it's exciting. I mean, Dean Coons always did have that sort of, like, discount Stephen King vibe, though. Yeah, very That's much That's why so. I feel like, yeah, they have, uh, I don't know, whatever. Maybe I'm making it up. All right. Much like Christopher Pike and R.L. Stein for the young adult set, where it's like <laughs> Christopher Pike was like the the low rent version, but everyone came to R.L. Stein for the good stuff. Much like Stephen King. But anyways, we're talking about Koontz. Koontz. And we are we're talking about phantoms, which I maybe this is a place to start. Can either of you describe the plot of this film? <laughs> Okay, I'm glad you said that, because no. Well, okay, it, it, it tightens up at the end. Once yes. Peter O'Toole gets involved, like, there's, he brings clarity. Um, but Much like in real life. Yes, can we also please take a moment to appreciate that star of Lawrence of Arabia, <laughs> Peter O'Toole, is in this movie. Yes. He sure is. He's like, ooh, his arms must hurt because he is carrying that third. <laughs> that, that third act, he strapped on like a backpack. Yes. Well, it's also, it is funny because I think you're, you're dead on in that they don't bother to explain anything until the clip that we played at the beginning. But it's like they just are like, all right, now we have O'Toole on set. How about if he just really deep dives into what's Let's happening? Let's put him in charge. Yeah. How old were y'all when this came out? I was 17. Okay. Yeah. Well, Andy and I are the same age, so I was also 17. I didn't know that. Um, I was 13. I just very vividly remember it because I feel like it was such a, like, Rose McGowan had just been in Scream, and then obviously Goodwill Hunting had just, like, won all those awards. And I feel like it was really set up to be a vehicle for both these people to, like, push their careers to the next level. And I don't know if it was effective. Well, it's it's weird, too, that like Rose McGowan is who all of the focus is on in the beginning. And then Rose McGowan kind of just fades to the background. The and she's just kind of there in most of the scenes. Yeah. Oh, wait, can I say something very serious for one moment? I'm sorry. I would yeah. like to acknowledge since we're talking about Rose McGowan, this was produced by Dimension. This was produced by Harvey Weinstein. Ooh, and this was yeah. the film that he sexually assaulted her on. Oh, um, yeah. So as we speak about this film in a lighthearted manner, because we will continuing from this point on, um, I just want to acknowledge that that was probably really painful for her. And it, that fucking sucks that, uh, it happened. But as we discuss media, I think it's important to give context. So, yeah, no, I think that that yeah. is definitely important. And 
Yeah, Harvey Weinstein. Mm -hmm. Yeah, goddamn Um, him. But yeah, we can segue on now back to 1998. Yes, but no, I do think that's important to mention. Uh, Yeah, all right. So Peter O'Toole shows up and explains the plot. We don't have Peter O'Toole, so I don't know. Andy, do you want to? Okay. All right. So this movie uh, is a rejected X Files script uh, Mm -hmm. minus Mully and Scalder. That's the movie. Mully and Scolder? Yeah. That's yeah. what they're called, right? Sure. Yes. <clears throat> I don't know. It's about, it's about two sisters, some sheriffs, and a doctor um, fighting an evil animal. Maybe? Yes. That may be like super terrestrial or extraterrestrial who knows unclear I, well i thought it was made clear that it is from earth like that they think it's extraterrestrial but then that's kind of the i think it's kind of debunked the, the planet of the apes twist ending that it was earth all along i think <laughs> right yeah oh my god i was wrong <laughs> it was earth all, all along. along also and they finally made a monkey out of us yes i mean like let's be real like uh, this kind of feels like dean Koontz read the book jacket i don't know if there's a book for the film the thing and like <laughs> kind of you guys of, are talking about all the references that i wrote down in my notes this is great okay right yeah because there's definitely some kind of the thing vibe happening oh here. there's a huge the thing vibe oh when Lave schreiber grows uh, uh schreiber uh grows those extra legs he does the spider like, schreiber backlets. yeah yeah it's exactly like the thing Lave spider by the way, mm-hmm. since you mentioned that, can I point out to both of you the thing that now I think every time uh, Liev Schreiber shows up on screen, he voices Kingpin in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, and that is the weirdest thing for me to try to wrap my brain around. So I'm just putting it out there. Like, it's fair. Where he's doing the like, doobie-doo, They got him to do that, and I don't know why, but I love that they did. So it's, I mean, that movie was impeccably voice cast, so. It was. I, I I stand by the 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 voice director for that. Uh, but yeah, he definitely has like tentacle legs at the end. Yes. Can we go back to the beginning of the movie, though? OK, so the beginning of the movie, Rose McGowan and Rose McGowan sister. Joanna uh, going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, are, yeah. So <laughs> Rose and Joanna are going to this small town. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> and everyone's dead. And yes, they're just wandering around and then trying to figure out why they're dead, because it doesn't make sense. Uh, and they somehow wind up in this weird cat. Like, let's go down this incredibly spooky alley. Yeah. that ends up being like a weird catacombs thing that leads to a bakery, because that's how small towns work. Mm-hmm. And then they find the heads of the baker and his wife. And so uh, and the hands for the first is the hands on the rolling right. pin. Yeah. And then the heads. <clears throat> what we find out later, though, is that all could have just been the animal. Right, 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 right. 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 Yeah, it could be staged. Yeah, because that, right. so that's also confused. Like, yeah, so this is why I wanted us to try to break down the plot, because I really wanted to understand the logic of the creature that's well, doing. That's why, yeah, that's why I asked about the beginning, because I, I wanted to ask you all what made it so difficult for you to articulate with the plot of this movie, because like for the whole beginning of the movie, I can't. I can tell you literally what happens, but I cannot tell you why or like yes, yes, how yeah, they're yeah. connected to one another. No, there, there literally yeah. is no why. Yeah. And why were these three sheriffs, uh, Nikki Cat, Leo Schreiber, 
and uh, Ben Affleck. Why how, they were there untouched. How dare Ben Affleck ask them, like Rose McGowan and Joanna Going, what's going on when he shows up? Like, defund yeah. the police. What? <laughs> Why don't you know what's happening? ACAB right there. Yeah. <laughs> All also, cops are Ben Affleck. <laughs> I also, sorry, Andy, I, forget, I th- feel like you forgot one person. You mentioned three of them, but you forgot the fourth person, which is Nikki Cat's mustache is also there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Nikki Cat's mustache did receive separate billing. I forgot uh, that in the opening credits, it says Dean Koontz's Phantoms. Uh, introducing Nikki Cat's mustache. Yeah. It got- <laughs> and where did the cops come from if everyone is dead? Well, but that's what's weird, too. I didn't understand that either because they go to the, like the sheriff's department. They go to where the police so are. They're not the cops of the town. Right. Yeah, they're they're nearby cops. But yeah, so again, to Aaron, to your point, like, yeah, you can track. So these people are showing up and they're finding this stuff that may or may not be the creatures staging it. But all of it is a long con to get Peter O'Toole there because the alien or the whatever, the goo, the creature uh, wants the whole world to know that it exists. But that doesn't seem like that would be hard to accomplish if that was the only goal. I don't know why it needs him. I mean, when I think about all of the shenanigans I've tried to engage in to get Peter O'Toole to show up places, this is pretty, like, pretty direct. Well, I also think the fact that Peter O'Toole's in this movie proves that it's not that hard to get Peter O'Toole to show up places. <laughs> not in 1998, it's not. <laughs> he didn't win any Academy Awards, and he had bills, so, like... Yeah, uh, that's fair. Yeah. But he was he thought this was his shot that he could finally stand alongside uh, the other venerable greats of British acting. You know, what's interesting that I also read about Peter O'Toole because I was reading random stuff about Peter O'Toole because we were doing this. Do you know he turned down being replacement Dumbledore in Harry Potter? Mm. Apparently the family of the original, like he was friends with the guy whose name was Richard Harris. Yeah. And Richard Harris's family wanted him to take over. And he. so why didn't he? That's rude. I don't know. Maybe he knew about J.K. Rowling. Maybe. <laughs> That's pretty fair. Yeah. All right. But he he was he was in on it. Yeah. Um, now I'm Peter O'Toole. I'm now on his side. Yeah. He would have been like I didn't hate Michael Gambon, but I think Peter O'Toole would have been better. Yeah. I mean, instant he was gravitas. good in this terrible movie, so I can yeah. only imagine he'd be good in a good movie. Yeah. Yeah. That that does stand up. That holds up. So I mean, definitely, it's the transitive property, I believe. <laughs> yeah. Um. um there is negative tension in the whole first half of this movie, though. Yeah, what the? Like, okay, I'm yeah, not let's, scared at all. Yes, let's. Okay, yeah, since we are kind of focusing, like laser focusing on the beginning, let's talk about the fact that neither Rose McGowan nor, and again, forgive me, Andy, but I didn't write down the Joanna going. Okay, mm-hmm. Joanna going. They don't react normally to the pile of dead bodies that they encounter at all. They're Nobody pretty does. chill. Yeah, no, I write that several times. I like they're just touching dead bodies. They like don't seem very worried. They keep in vet like yeah. I don't know. I, maybe I'm just like a giant baby, but I feel like I would leave immediately yes. and call the police. Which they do try to use the phone and the phone doesn't work. And they do try to start their car and their car doesn't start, but because of the monster. But all of their reactions are not normal people reactions to anything that's happening at any point. In all fairness, Ben Affleck in the first half of the movie, too, also has like really bizarre reactions. They're like really underwhelming reactions to things that otherwise you would imagine would be like very impactful. Because the two things that happen in the beginning of this movie are pile of dead bodies unexplained and 
the reveal that there is an existence of some type of creature that heretofore mm-hmm. has never been seen on the planet. That can mimic other living things that it has eaten the face of. Yeah. Even, a giant moth flies in and eats Liev Schreiber's face. That yeah. is my fucking... I am so <laughs> scared of moths. I am so afraid of anything that, like a butterfly, anything that could fly into my mouth. And when I saw that, I was like, this is legit. Okay, finally. They've... Yeah. So, so normally I would recommend watching Peacemaker to literally everyone I know, Aaron, oh, but yeah, maybe don't. don't. Yeah, don't. Oh, no. Okay. Especially not the, <laughs> not yeah. the last episode. I really episode. wanted to, so great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just, or just have that caveat as you watch okay, it. Okay, that is, that is legitimately helpful. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it is a uh, tour de force of uh, things flying into people's mouths. So Yes. Um, but no, like, this movie... I was kind of getting mad at it for not answering anything. And then it came around like in the last act and just explained everything. And then it got even more boring. Right. Well, because it waited until the last act to explain it and then did the classic, what they'll teach you in screenwriting 101, have all the characters stand around and have a lengthy conversation about everything in the last 30 minutes of the movie. You know, that's where you want to just yeah, info dump. Which again, you it's have tell don't show, right? It's tell yes. don't show. Yeah. And again, you have Peter O'Toole, but like, yeah, the fact that you're not peppering that while action is happening or something, you're the, literally the characters are just standing there and talk like talking to each other. Right. Because this extrapolates out the uh, the flatworm theory that if you feed chopped up flatworms to other flatworms, they'll remember they'll learn what the chopped up flatworms had learned. Which is a been a, like an almost debunked uh, medical experiment, but it, you know what? It's better than the people only use ten percent of their brain thing. Yeah, because the truth is that flatworms only eat ten percent of dead flatworms' brains. That's the right. real truth. That's that is that is the rub right there. <laughs> yes, but I, we... I wish this was as used in Hollywood as that trope was. <laughs> Can we talk about one thing that happens in the beginning? I promise I'll mm-hmm. stop talking about the beginning of the movie. Um, one thing that happens in the beginning of the movie that we have not discussed at all, which is the uh, inverted colors of the child in the closet that Ben Affleck needs. Have- okay, you're both looking yes, at me. No, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. A professional production company made that and put it in a movie. People greenlighted it. That was the dumbest shit I've ever seen in my entire yes. life. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, and like, I feel like it's one of, okay, so we've talked a little bit about how this movie like incorporates like kind of like the X-Files. There's a little bit of like Twin Peaks, a little bit of like the thing. One thing that I feel like it had, and maybe I'm making this up because again, this movie is not super clear. Um, the, the creature that can imitate people is it imitating people like did Ben Affleck kill a child accidentally or oh, something? Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm, okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So but they never fully commit to that idea. Right. But they established Whoa. that Ben Affleck, um, he shot a child that had a toy gun because yeah. he thought it was yeah. a real gun. Which let's be clear while we're talking about things that this movie is like, that is the exact backstory that Al Pal has in Die Hard. Just to be oh. clear. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. But what doesn't make sense is the monster didn't eat Ben Affleck, so how does it know about the kid? Well, also, the monster didn't eat the kid, and the kid seems to be the only thing that it... Because, like, that, that did confuse me, too, that, like, yeah, one, it didn't eat Ben Affleck, so it doesn't have his memories, but also, 
other than that kid, it seems to only be able to imitate people that it's consumed. Yeah. Or wait, fan theory time. Ben Affleck is the monster. <laughs> oh, like a little piece, like a preemptive. Yeah. And that he's okay. there, you know, and it was going to be revealed in the sequel. Uh, Phantoms Two: hunting season <laughs> that. Uh, <laughs> that he was in it with Liev Schreiber the whole time. So like, but that's OK. So that's what I'm I think that's what I'm also like a little bit confused about, because the monster well i don't know i'm gonna call it a monster uh the monster also imitates Liev schreiber um because he okay so for folks who haven't seen this movie um which i assume is most people um Liev schreiber is like a clear creep in the movie like yes he's like weirdly like talking to himself or like laughing in a dark corner or like being really inappropriate and he gets like inappropriate with uh rose mcgowan's character at one point i believe and um after he dies, the creature comes back as Liev Schreiber and is like sexually threatening towards Rose McGowan and Joanna going. Right. So like the idea that the creature like finds an Achilles heel of the person that it's like confronting seems to be something they've like sprinkled throughout the movie, but don't fully commit to Like they don't do it with anyone else really. And it's like only happens once or twice. So I couldn't tell if that was like a thing because that reminds me of um, event horizon. If it is, uh, which yeah, it does, is uh, that also does made around little, the same time. Yeah. That does have some strong event horizon vibes in that regard. But, but also again, can I just take a moment because while we can describe the plot, but not understand the plot, why is it doing all this stuff while also its purported goal is just to get everyone to know about its existence for some reason? How do those two goals connect? Usually when I want to get the word out about something, I make sure that everyone who could say anything is dead. Right. That's what I'm saying. It's killing off everybody while also is wanting... Is that why no one came to my birthday? <gasps> yes. Damn it. It's why our improv shows were so well attended. <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah, I, the, the monster's motives don't make a ton of sense. Well, also, what, as, it, especially what it should have done was gotten itself captured in a in a series of Rube Goldberg esque events and then uh, staged a grand escape. Well, also, it can take over the whole town. It can be any person it wants to be. Couldn't it just go on the news? Oh, it could be Oprah. Yeah, it could be Oprah and just be like, hey, what's up? It's Oprah. You trust me. Uh, there's aliens or whatever. There's a creature. Or like, I'm a god. I'm there's a god creature. Here are my tentacle legs. And you get a yeah. car. You, know. you get a tentacle to the face <laughs> and you get a tentacle to the face and you get a. Yeah, that's the other thing is like the movie. It's like, well, it's a horror movie, so we need to up the body count. Let's just drive in a bunch of cannon fodder to just get killed by the monster. And then they do that. And. And there's dogs. I hate it when dogs are used for bad purposes, which is also something I wrote in my notes. Yeah, uh, that and the dog is like watching them and it wants and then the monster wants the people to get a tissue sample. So it spits out a leopard gecko. That was so weird. I don't. Yeah. And then I didn't understand to the evil dog was just like watching Ben Affleck. Like that's where it would because I guess they were doing what it wanted at that point. So it was okay, just like wait, hanging we out. We have not explained what's happening to anyone right now. Okay. They, they don't know what these dogs are. So they like find this Dr. Flight. They find his name written on a mirror. That's Peter O'Toole. All they have to do is make a phone call and then he is there in like biohazard suits. And I guess that's how the cannon fodder gets there is like more government types are coming to investigate and then it transitions from this like abandoned city creepy movie to like a government 
that's really when it, you get like the X Files or like um, that kind of vibe. Third act of ET vibe. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like all government people uh, investigating this creature, and they're trying to find a way to kill the creature. So they get this biological sample that is intended to um, help Peter O'Toole spread the word about this uh, monster. To, to know how powerful it is. Yeah, I'm a salamander. Um, but then they try to concoct some like poison to kill it. Uh, well, yeah, because they figure out that it because it in its natural form, I guess it looks like a pile of black goo. Mm-hmm. And as and as we know, all things that look kind of similar have the exact same atomic makeup. God, I forgot about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that it? It is has a similar chemical makeup to oil, and so they use uh, bacteria that they have, you know, bred to like eat up oil spills and things like that to then eat up the monster. It would have been great if the third act of this movie was that they just put the monster into cars. Like if they found a way to like solve the energy crisis by just like monster powered cars. Yeah. And that's, that's how this movie is actually a prequel to a monster truck. Oh, wow. Right. Yeah. They actually did that. Didn't they? Yeah, yeah they did. Oh, which is another movie I'm sure we'll watch at some point for this podcast. Nothing new under the sun. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. And then Ben Affleck gets to confront his demon, his phantom, if you will, uh, in the form of the boy who uh, then somehow gets a hold of the vials of the bacteria. And the boy's like, are you going to shoot me again? And he's like, no, this time I'm going to miss. And he shoots the vials and it kills the boy. Yeah, the boy still dies. Right. He killed him better than he would have if he had shot. <laughs> oh, this movie's stupid. It was a really unsuccessful blending of science and religion. Like, yeah. there was also not a lot of tension between those two topics, even though Ben Affleck yelling make it, makes it sound like that it might have been. But well, it's like, yeah, I think the, the, the creature overheard the people talking about religion. It was like, oh, I'm probably a god then, I guess. I must be a god because I'm pretty great. And apparently in this religion thing, people choose something really great to worship so that they should worship me. And that's how I started my cult. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I think what we have to determine, I think, before we pivot is was Affleck the bomb in this movie? Like not in the beginning, but yes, in the end. So that's one vote for yes. That's fair. Joel, was he the bomb in Phantoms? <laughs> oh, man. You know what? I'm going to make it interesting. I'm going to put it on you, Andy. And I'm going to say no. Oof. Yeah. If I've learned one thing in my life, you never disagree with Muse. <laughs> Uh, you know, just it's going to lead you down a, a path of ruin. Uh, I'm going to say Affleck was the bomb in Phantoms, yo. OK, well, I mean, that's yeah, that's how democracy works. So, yep, exactly. Yeah. So let's go to the Electoral College and figure out what actually is the result. And I also I don't feel like he should have swept. I still feel good about my I just feel like I'm like one of the Supreme Court justices that I need to write a dissent. But you're I writing think, a dissenting opinion. No, that tracks. But I think that we reached the right consensus. I think this is <laughs> what should have happened. Right. Um, no, that that makes that makes perfect sense. Yeah, he I think he does show flashes of brilliance. 
Uh, and and I think you know when he gives some impassioned monologues and I liked the like, yelling. I thought I, I think yeah. he plays like a dick really well, and that's what he's kind of doing a lot. So mm-hmm. I'm gonna say that's why I'm gonna say he's the bomb. So fans of Hobo Radio, uh, <laughs> deep cuts will know that I feel that Ben Affleck is is at his best when I don't think he's acting, and I would agree that when he gives impassioned monologues and is yelling, that's probably not too far from <laughs> the real Ben Affleck. Who I love. If he ever hears this, I'm not talking bad about you, Ben Affleck. No, that no, is we, clear. That, that's why you were invited to this episode because there's a long and storied history of us bonding over talking about how great Ben Affleck is. Yes. No, we're all Fleck fans here. Yeah, we're fans of the tattoo. Big fan. Yeah, yeah. Big fans of the the giant phoenix back tattoo. Also, lied about. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> that's a great one because there's no way to sustain that, and I appreciate the audacity. Right. <laughs> um, like, no, it's fake for a movie. By the way, can we just since we're all talking about how much we love Affleck, Andy? Can you still say the the wild thing that I have yet to accept that you have said to me on this show multiple times? Oh, he's my favorite movie, Batman. Yeah. Oh. I don't agree, but right. he's not bad. Yeah, yeah no, th- thank you. That, that was my opinion, too. I like him as Batman, but he's not. He's not my favorite. He's better as Batman than he is as this character. Oh, That's way better. Accurate. Yes. There's no there's no there's no argument from any of us, I think, on that regard. <laughs> no, I think he's a good Batman, but he's yeah, they're, they're Andy's thing only exists in a world where Michael Keaton isn't a person. He was all right. Yeah. Michael Keaton is the best Batman. Yeah, I agree. By far. By far. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> But I wish I mean, Affleck he's no Val Kilmer, but yeah, I wish Affleck had gotten to make. The, I wish he would have gotten to make a Batman movie that he That's wanted accurate. to do. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, fighting Joe Manganiello as Deathstroke. Why not? Yeah. Uh, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I just think I, I like I like him as the older Batman. And no, he's I good casting. He good he's I, he is great casting. I don't know that they used him as well as they could have. They certainly mm-hmm. didn't. But we that's a previous episode with Aaron, if you want. Yes. <laughs> that was that the Snyder cut or was that the original cut that we the did? Snyder with? cut. That was the Snyder cut. OK, yeah. uh, we had to watch both of those in subsequent weeks. That was rough. It was. I agree. Uh, arguably <laughs> rougher than this movie. I don't know. This movie's bad. This movie was bad. Yeah. Um, there's a lot with Justice League. Like that's a it's a lot of uh, content. Yes, that's this movie is a little bit more small, uh, but more nimble. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, should we pivot? Is there anything else that people feel the need to malign? Should we look for the silver lining to this? Oh, (laughs) silver lining to silver lines. But real quick, just because uh, one last time, one last plea (laughs) to understand this plot. I understand that all tropes require them it's the genre to show that like we thought we defeated the villain but we haven't but again in the context of just trying to get the word out that you exist why is the plan to be leave schreiber in a bar at the end i mean they say always be yourself unless you can be leave schreiber in which case be leave schreiber okay all right i just i just we can pivot, but I just want to be as on the record as possible to say I did not understand no, it, the villain's it is, plan. It is really weird that this villain seems like its whole thing is it wants to be the world to know about it. And it succeeds in regards to the fact that Peter O'Toole writes this book about this thing. 
that yeah. I'm guessing becomes Dean Koontz's phantoms. Um, <laughs> that, uh, yeah, but then he's Liev Schreiber just sitting there eating peanuts at the bar, telling these yokels if asking these yokels if they want to see something cool. So the answer is looking- always yes. Yeah, I'm looking at my notes, and I feel like so. Like, okay, um. Do you guys watch? I think uh, you should leave. I imagine yes. 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 Um, what is that guy's name? Havoc. Keith Havoc. What? What is that? When he has too much stuff on him and he wants to leave. Oh yeah, yeah. The yeah. I don't know the name of the character, but I know what you're talking about. The, yeah. That's I don't want to be around anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be That's around. That's how I feel like this movie is. It has too much stuff on it, and it doesn't even want to be here anymore. It's like <laughs> because it looks like what like from what I'm writing in real time is like. It seems like they're setting Liev Schreiber up to be more of a menace in the movie than ultimately maybe they had time for or that they want to focus on. Because, like, there are some impactful scenes. Like, he has a, he's standing in front of a red background and he's whistling. Like, that's pretty creepy. Like, they really signal that he's like a weird creep a bunch of times. I think the instinct to make him the face of the villain is the right one, but I don't know that they explored it properly. Like, that's yeah. what I mean. Yeah. Like, I feel like they didn't, they had all these ideas that they did like two minutes on each of them and then, like, I don't know, gave up and then kind of put them back in at the end. Like, right. oh, yeah. Like having We're- Nikki Cat in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then the director was sitting there liking the I think you should leave sketch being like, like Dean, this was your idea. And he was like, I said it might be interesting. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was bummed that there wasn't more Nikki Cat. I'm a Nikki Cat fan. Yeah, Nikki Cat, who's shown up a few times at this point in Silver Lining Playbacks. Uh, I'm also a fan. Oh, that's too bad. Also, also weirdly uh, has been in multiple Batman movies. Just a weird, yeah. not not anyone with Ben Affleck, but other ones. Yeah, because he was in both uh, The Dark Knight and Batman and Robin, right? Yep. Yes. Yeah, Batman yeah, and Robin. Because he's like the only person to be in both of those. like Both versions. the Schumacher and uh, Nolan movies. Yeah. But yeah, Nicky Cat, who shows up in random things. Uh, yeah, because also we did The Way of the Gun, which I love. Uh, he's in that. So Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so I, I guess that's another reason to malign this movie is uh, you have a, a perfectly good Nikki cat and you just have him get killed by a flash of light. And also he grew that mustache. In I the, know. Yeah. The mustache that mustache deserved. That took yeah, it deserved more screen time. Um, yeah. Uh, this movie was clearly made before they made photosensitivity warnings in movies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because there's a ton of strobe effects throughout mm-hmm. the entire thing. And I'm amazed that even like with the rental that it didn't they didn't add that caveat. That shows how few people are watching this because they didn't feel the need to add that back in. Yeah, we're, we're the only people to go back and watch it to notice. So this movie seems like it should have been PG-13, but it's R because they say fuck multiple times. And it's I feel definitely like they for language. Yeah. Edited some of those fucks and made a better PG-13 movie than whatever they were aiming for. Yeah. yeah, but no, you're you're dead on. It's for sure for language because it's not. There's not even really like, violence. Like because even the yeah. body horror is relatively tame. Yeah, yeah, it's like already dead. Like and they look pretty good and creepy, but they're already dead. Yeah. They're not like well, I don't and by know. like yeah, like I mean this I'm is sorry. after this is after Scream. I mean this is like right. and Liev Spider. So yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um. All right. So. Peter O'Toole is the silver lining. Is that what we're going with? I mean, Peter O'Toole in and of himself is the silver lining. I think we highlighted that. But also, 
I like the trivia question answer that what movie did Ben Affleck and Peter O'Toole like have a scene together? Like what, what, what did they act opposite each other in? I love that it's this. So that is a silver lining to me. This movie passes the Bechdel test. Oh, yeah. Ooh, yes. Hey, that's something. A win. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Is it like, how early? Because like, is it the like, because the opening scene are two sisters talking, but did they, is it pretty quick? Like, is it like the opening line? Like how? They talk about their mom. Yeah, yeah. They talk about that's what's like, going on in this the town. They're like not yeah. talking about men. They're that's just, what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm like right from the gate, it passes. Like, yeah, there's yeah. no shoehorned in romantic subplot. So kudos to that. Yeah. That's like, true. They didn't try to pair up either Affleck and uh, Joanna Going or Affleck and uh, mom blanking on her name. Rose McGowan. Rose McGowan. Mm-hmm. My birthday buddy. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, it's so that was good. I know it's kind of backtracking a little bit, but I thought it was weird that like they established that Rose McGowan's character had a bit of a checkered past and then did nothing with it. That's what I mean. I feel like they had so many ideas and they just dropped them. Except also, for the one scene where she drops a cigarette in the sink and here's the monster. I did write. Oh, and that's like it. This movie really borrows heavily from yeah. a lot of. Um, but I also I was like, no wonder I used to think smoking was so cool. Like it was weird to see a movie where I feel like uh, smoking isn't as prominent now in films. And uh, she is really just casually smoking throughout the entire film. Well, that's pretty like intentional. I mean, they, you know, like they've really tried to get rid of smoking in films, I think, actively. That's what I mean. Like, yeah. So like it's one thing that I did like about this movie. I don't know if it's a silver lining about the movie specifically, but I do like um, that. It's like a movie that's like a time. It's like made in 1998 you know what i mean like the yeah, car yeah. in 1998 like people are smoking like it's authentically of the time it's not like a period piece about that um and i like like whenever i don't know whenever i run to get across that i like that yeah i'd agree with i mean it, it 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 feels as late 90s which is probably the most heavily mined time period that for this podcast we end up in the 90s a lot i feel between like 1997 and 2003 is where most of this podcast has been centered 97 has been good to us i know that for sure the 97 (laughs) it's been a good year american culture was not at its peak during those years no not if you listen to the matrix (laughs) and i do Uh, the the peak of american culture was the late 90s um but i i'm a rose mcgowan fan me too. Uh, I like her. I like her in almost everything. I think she's equally good in this. Um, probably like everything else could have had more to do. I was gonna say underutilized, but but yeah, like I think everybody is. So that's not. Yeah, I'd say the only person that's probably utilized to their best effect is Peter O'Toole because he oh, just yeah. he comes in as just the cleanup hitter and just knocks every line out of the park in like the most perfect and simultaneously. Most no one talks like that British accent I've ever heard, which is kind of his thing. I feel like you know, that's 100% his thing. Yeah, that's his wheelhouse like, for sure. It's it's the fully like fully like old received pronunciation English accent to the point where it's like when people do like B plus imitations of English accents, that's what they sound like. But that's actually how he talks. And it's delightful. 
I feel like we get, there's got to be, this feels a little thin. I don't know if there's there's anything. I'm reading, uh, there's more. Um, So I did write X-Files vibes, Twin Peaks vibes, that one one scene with Lee Schreiber. Um, I did, like, when you were saying there's a lot of flashing lights, there was one part that there was, like, a lot of, they were standing maybe in, like, the town square or something, and there were, like, flashing lights all around them. And that was very disorienting. Like, that was legitimately an visually interesting uh, shot. Um... Oh, I said, uh, this is an extremely phallic monster. They kill all the military first. Is this symbolic? The sisters live. Is this an indictment of toxic masculinity? <laughs> it's not. It's nothing. No, no the, I think that is part of the problem is that there's not any kind of cohesive. You know, and you, I think any movie in the late 90s where Ben Affleck survives is not an indictment of toxic masculinity. <laughs> that's fair. Uh, oh, Ben Affleck steals candy. That's pretty fucking cool. Yeah. <laughs> But no, and, I, I, and he takes like weird candy too. It's he, like, he grabs the whatchamacallit and then there's a lot of weird like candy featured in like a lot of you like making it clear. Yeah, I, I don't know what to do with that. But no, I, I know we pivoted, but I, I think you kind of hit on something too of like normally, at least in some kind of vague way, horror and especially like creature horror is usually about something <laughs> like the creature usually represents some idea of something about society you know like zombies are the either viruses or like the breakdown of society and like you know well, like the thing was about like communists in the government and things like that and yeah. i never knew who was really the villain and all that like there's usually an allegory somewhere and i i don't see there's it there's not this. even close to one in this like it's not yeah it's not cohesive enough to be about anything and i think that is part of the problem i don't think you need to like hammer everybody with any kind of big theme, but I just think it really struggles to be like, what is like, I think that's why we can't nail down what's even happening. Right. Or like what's not satisfying about it. Yeah. Because it's like, okay. We have these elements where people may or may not have checkered past that, like the monster could use to manipulate them. An idea that is brought up, not fully explored. We have the tension between science and religion. And again, like the way that's resolved is that the monster science kills the monster, but the monster lives and Peter O'Toole tells everyone about the monster. So like there's not really tension between those well, two ideas. Well, right, right. That's like one of the weakest things is like all of the again to the why is the monster killing everyone? All of this happens and then Peter O'Toole literally goes, Yeah, we defeated it, but I'm gonna give it what it wants. I'm gonna tell everyone about it. And it's like, well, we could have saved this whole movie. You could have yeah. showed up to the town, like the monster could have invited you by writing your name on in lipstick. You could have shown up. It could have talked to you as whoever, as Nikki Cat, as a little kid, as Liam Schreiber, whatever. As a dog. As a dog. And a dog would have been strong because then you would have been like, something's going on here. And could have been like, hey, buddy, do you mind like just telling the world of my existence? And he would have been like, sure. You want to go on TV with me talking dog? And then that would have been the movie. Do I want to get rich and have more notoriety? Yes. Yeah. So I think that's Um, I liked the opening. I'll say that we talked a lot about it. I just I don't know that the rest of the movie made sense without it, but like the pitch of just like we're rolling into this town and everyone's dead is a really strong way to start a horror. It's a film. solid horror movie pitch for yeah. sure. Yeah. I yeah, I, it kind of abandoned that quickly, but I liked I, I was hoping that it was gonna build to something creepy and, and like And in a movie called Phantoms, where were all the ghosts? Yeah, I why is it called Phantoms? Oh, here's the thing. This monster has killed everyone in the town. 
But like, we don't know anyone in the town. Right, right. So I don't care. Like, right. I mean, I mean, I don't want people to die, but like, it's not, he There's, kills Liev Schreiber, who's already a bad guy. Right. There's no emotional attachment. There's no like tragic death that we get in this. Or, like, there's no character. Yeah. That like, yeah. I don't know. Nikki cat. Okay. Yeah. You're right though. But again, but that's only that because we love Nikki cat, not because of anything on the page, but it's not milked enough. Like it's not. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and when you get a chance, you need to milk Nikki Cat. I mean, that just okay. That didn't come out the way I intended it. I have nipples, Greg. <laughs> I did write. They really tried to make this movie. They like really thought they were doing something here. I got that vibe. I mean, you got yeah. Koontz. Koontz wrote the book, and then the, he agreed to to adapt his own screenplay. Like they got Steve, the star power. They yeah. got. Like, they're trying. Yeah, this is like the height of the cast that you could get at that. I think you got fucking Peter O'Toole in this movie. Like you, like it couldn't have been cheap to get him, even if though. Like I, you're able to get him because it's the '90s. But like, I bet there was a price tag attached to that. Like. Or like, even if we had met someone in the town before the sisters drove up before the credits and like we saw they had a nice little life or, you know, something about them. And if then we met like the baker and his wife. Yeah. Yeah. And then the sisters stumbling across it would be a little bit more impactful for the audience. But yeah, maybe even like a yeah, like a, we see them when they were younger in the town and then we do like a 15 years later and then everyone's dead. But we already got to know all those people in the first 10 minutes or something. Right. Or something. Right. Yeah. There's no like entry point. Yeah. One thing I'll say about this movie, we've watched a lot of these movie, a lot of movies for this podcast that have uh, been riddled with production problems and uh, and acrimony and all that. And watching this movie, I felt like that was going to be the case here. And it was not. And I find that surprising. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this could have very easily been a League of Extraordinary Gentlemen or right. uh, Garfield, A Tale of Two Kitties or any number of. Well, that would explain why it's so disjointed, but there isn't. Like, there'd been, like, a huge, like, the studio getting involved and making a bunch of changes and, like, release the Joe Chappelle cut or whatever. Mm -hmm. I I do wonder if there's a lot of cut material, because it does seem like some stuff, like, because I don't know if there was a real mandate to get this at under 90 minutes or something, but, like, it feels like there could have been more content that maybe was, like, I I wonder about deleted scenes in this. Yeah. I read um, like when I was trying because I obviously was like trying to find out more information about this story um, that like the book had a lot more like Lovecraftian like this. This uh, creature was like connected more to like mm, like ancient evil and stuff like that, which is not my cup of tea like that wouldn't I don't know necessarily scare me more, um, but it would at least give more context as to like why this thing is innately evil and killing people why does it want people to know that it's so evil like and i guess they took a lot of that out for the movie which honestly good though there's already (laughs) too much stuff and it doesn't want to be here anymore yeah that would explain the the tentacle legs though i think if it's like going for a lovecraft thing Mm -hmm. yeah so let's let's get back to what are the positives so we can send people home happy. Peter O'Toole. Peter O'Toole. Yeah. Well, also, let's how about this? We're we're going to we're going to wrap up. But like this is the end of Ben Affleck month. We're all Ben Affleck fans. Uh, obviously, we did this, uh, you know, sort of all of this month has been heavily inspired by the film Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. I think that's clear. 
Yes. <laughs> like oh, 100%. Uh, so, but yeah, I, I don't know if we have any closing thoughts about Ben Affleck, this era of Ben Affleck, anything nice we want to say about, you know. Oh, aesthetically, it's a good era for Ben Affleck. Mm-hmm. Like, bi culture is being attracted to Ben Affleck and Rose McGowan in this movie. That's, yeah. 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 That is, yeah. that is true. That is very much, uh, and I can't say that I'm not a little attracted to both of them in this movie. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I love early 90s Affleck. Um, that's, that's sort of like, again, our, our sort of, uh, you know, uh, Silver Linings playback wheelhouse of 97 to 03, where Affleck did, you know, Goodwill Hunting, and he did this, and he did, you know, some Kevin Smith movies, and he did uh, Boiler Room. He was the Alec Baldwin character in Boiler Room and all that, and like, you know, I like I'm I'm a Fleck fan, like I said, and I think that, you know, I think he showed signs of the the mature artist that he would grow up to be in the next subsequent decades, and you know, I I, I just like seeing him do stuff. I want to I want him to direct more movies too. What's well, like it's sort of like this movie. Affleck in this era is trying a lot of things and not all of them are working. But I think unlike this movie, Affleck did find his way. And I think that's what's really wonderful. It's like we're we're watching the air. We've been spending time in the era of Ben Affleck trying to figure out. And I think that's why he always like I always liked him better than Matt Damon, just in terms of like he was always the the more like wider, like, you know, bigger swings, more interesting choices in like the stuff that he does. Like he's more fun to follow, I feel like. Well, and I feel like you can tell, like, you can tell Matt Damon is acting. Yeah. And I think there's sometimes you can tell that Affleck's acting too, but there's other times where I think he disappears into the character, whether it's Gili or Sheriff or Buddy or whoever. Jersey Girl. Jersey Girl, <laughs> you know. He, he's, he's, you know, I, I, I'm a Fleck fan. I, I'll say it again. I like him better than Matt Damon because he's not blonde. Yeah. So. Fair. <laughs> uh, Andy, what was your favorite of the movies that we did this month? And yeah, I don't know if you've seen all of them, Aaron, but you're, you're also welcome to weigh in on it. We so did, the movies we watched, yeah. we watched Fail, or, um, Forces of Nature, mm-hmm. which is Affleck and uh, Sandra Bullock. We watched Gili, uh, infamous Gili. We watched Bounce, uh, Affleck and Gwyneth Paltrow. Uh, and we watched this. Um, I hate to say it. I think Bounce might have been the best movie this month. Oh, that's interesting. Though, you know, I think, but I, think I enjoyed Forces of Nature the most. See, that's what I was going to say. My pick is Forces of Nature. Like, I think if if I had to, if I had to, <laughs> I already did it once to myself. But if for some reason we do a feature where we rewatch movies that we've already watched once and I had to watch one of these again, I think it would be Forces of Nature. Like, it, it feels the most rewatchable. Yeah, I don't want to watch Bounce again, but I, I think it might have been the most well-made movie. But it's a effing downer. It is a downer. Yeah. Um, it's definitely not this. It's definitely not Gili. <laughs> yeah. Although, Which isn't as bad as people say, but it's really terrible. But also, if I only had to watch one scene from a movie, it would be Jennifer Lopez say- saying that it's turkey time from the sex scene in Gili, for sure. So <laughs> no, that's that's the best scene of the month. There's no <laughs> doubt in my mind about that. Yeah, Aaron, if you just want to find that on YouTube, you can save yeah, yourself. The, great. Yeah, yeah. Save yourself from having save to watch the, two hours. Yeah. and Don't watch the rest of that movie. Oh, that I scene. I saw Jersey Girl in theaters and they didn't start the movie like until 15 minutes after the start time because I was the only person in the theater. So they were seeing if you'd give up. 
<laughs> oh, man, just... you had a solo screening of of Jersey Girl. And that's how I'm going to start saying it in the future. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know the the only movie that I ever was alone in a theater for was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles three Turtles in Time. Oh. Kick ass two. Yeah. That's mine. I saw Kick-Ass 2 on my birthday by myself. Oh, Because I murdered everyone else. I was going to say, that's just... <laughs> Tell the world. <laughs> All right. Um, Aaron, are there things... Are you promoting anything? Is there anything you want people to know about? Like, besides uh, the film Jersey Girl that only you saw? <laughs> uh, besides Ben Affleck's uh, fake Phoenix tattoo. Um, no, in the spirit of Ben Affleck, I will support... Dunkin' Donuts, everyone. You yeah. can get delicious Dunkin' Donuts for yourself. Yeah, if you're... It's February brownie batter donuts are... There we go. Yeah, if you're gonna have your photo taken while walking down the street with whoever you're dating at the moment, have a cup of Dunkin' have Donuts. Have a cup in of your... donkeys in your hand. <laughs> if you're gonna look defeated into our third calendar year of a global <laughs> pandemic, you might as well have a Boston cream. Oh, man, that... The photo of Ben Affleck smoking that cigarette is one of the greatest things I've ever seen in my entire life. National treasure. Yeah. I want to have that square off against Keanu Reeves looking sad while eating that sandwich. Like as Someone should get a back piece of that. Of the two of them. And show Ben Affleck. Someone else should. I agree. <laughs> yeah. No, not anyone on this call. Yeah. Man, uh, I don't have that. Well, see, you, you're doing the Affleck. You're denying that you have it. Even it's for a movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's for a movie that you're making. Can I see the movie? No. No. Yeah. Only one person was allowed to see it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, I think I'm going to let uh, Ben Affleck take us out for Ben Affleck month. So thanks for listening, everyone. Do not look at Ben or Matt directly in the eyes or you will be fired. Does everybody understand that? Thank you. I frosted your hair, though. Yeah, I frosted my hair. That looks good. This has got to be the blunt man flick. There's those two fucks from the Mork movie. Lips, teeth, tongue, or lion face? Lion face. Lion face? Ha! Lemon face. Ooh. Lion face. Ha! Lemon face. Ooh. Break it down. Where are we taking it from, Gus? Gus? I'm busy. You're a true artist, Gus. Just take it from it's a good course. What, you're the director now? Hey, shove it, bounce boy. Let's remember who talked to him into doing this shit in the first place. I mean, talking me into dogma is one thing. Uh, look, is... you know, I'm sorry I dragged you away from whatever gay serial killers who ride horses and like to play golf touchy-feely picture you're going to do this week. I take it you haven't seen Forces of Nature. You're like a child. What do I keep telling you? You got to do the safe picture, then you do the art picture. And then sometimes you got to do the payback picture because your friend says you owe it. Silver Linings Playback is a production of Hobotrashcan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one. How many times has this happened to you? I just want to listen to a podcast. I can't choose from all these complicated structures and setups. You want to listen, not think. That's why... There's Hobo Radio. You'll feel like the smartest guy in the room in a room by yourself. This doesn't take any intellectual thinking at all. Thanks, Hobo Radio. Hobo Radio, a weekly podcast on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network.